Kristen Rawls. And I'm Jeff Eaton. This is Christian Rightcast. It's a podcast where we contextualize the Christian right in America, talk about its history, ideas, and the various movements that make it up in order to help you understand its impact on American society and politics. And welcome to the show. Yeah, so today um, I'm going to start out by talking a little bit about something that's been going on with me personally. And then after that, we are going to tie up this little Norman Vincent Peale unit. And we're going to, we're going to go, we both read the book, uh, The Power of Positive Thinking, and we're going to draw for science yeah read it for science (laughs) we're gonna draw out some passages that we uh that 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 we found particularly interesting and then i think we will end by uh by going through a little authoritarianism scale uh you know based on what we know of norman vincent peele to kind of help us think through just how authoritarian this particular uh figure in the Christian right was. Um, so uh, I, I, I wanted to start out, um, I've just been dreading this. Um, <sighs> I'm not going to name anybody's name right now, um, but uh, a, a person that I grew up with in the Christian right, a member of a family that is still very dear to me, uh, um, who I have a lot of very, very fond memories with as a child, um, was outed as a, who became a cop, was outed as a member of the Proud Boys who was making threats, uh, terrorist threats against federal judges, uh, quote unquote, liberal judges. Um, And I have been really wrestling with how to deal with this, but I can't just ignore it because this has a lot to do with my motivation for starting this podcast in the first place. Um, and so I guess I wanted to ask you, Jeff, um, (laughs) what would you do if, if, um, something like this happened and it was, I think in our, in our outline for this episode, I had it marked as what do you do when someone you knew does a fascism? And and I, I think it's, It's a complicated question because at like a societal level, you know, there's lots of straightforward questions. There are straightforward answers to that. You know, it's like, well, that's incredibly dangerous. In a lot of ways, it's all, it's almost like, what, what do I do if I discover that, you know, someone I know killed someone or um, abused their yeah. spouse or, you know, something like that. It's like, well, there's obvious things that, we do in order to stop the harm that this person is doing. But it's very, it it feels, it's a very intense moment of truth, realizing that the things that you are talking about on on a podcast like this aren't just abstracts. Right. Um, Because in, in a lot of ways, I think, you know, both, both you and I, are you know there's always degrees of things but are 
relatively privileged in like the Trump era and this particular like uh, moment in American history mm-hmm. in that we aren't necessarily the groups that are most targeted for antagonism. Right. We are quote liberals, but we're also like, we're white people. Yeah. We are, you know, we're cisgender you know, people. Yeah. Yeah. And like, professionally we're you know either like journalism or academia or you know on Mm -hmm. on my side i do i do web work you know it's these aren't necessarily like the the perception of the kind of lives we live is fairly like respectable and in that way we're not daily we are not antagonized and targeted in, in a daily fashion like yeah. some of the people I know, like um, you know, uh, a- African American women in academia who sure. are targeted like simply by virtue of their identifiable characteristics and their willingness to have positions on issues. Um, that, like at, at this moment in time, that's like a dangerous role to be in. Right, I'm definitely but- not somebody that is targeted for street violence. Right. Um, right. But I, so he, I have to talk about this specifically. I, he was talking about wanting to kill people wearing masks. Um, and, well, okay. Then so, I guess that would be us. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, <laughs> and um, he was, and so, um, I guess I, I just was thinking, huh, like, I, I guess I had hoped, I don't know. I, you know, I've kept in touch with some members of, of his family over the years. I kind of had hoped, you know, this is somebody who played really innocent pranks on me when I was 10, somebody that mm-hmm. I, um, I always just really, um, when I was really young and my family was fighting a lot, I, I thought this was the perfect family that they, you know, they wrote songs together and did art and, um, and they didn't fight in front of us at least and, and seemed so happy. And I thought, oh, so this is really what kind of, um, was the impetus for my, um, right wing, very short lived right wing phase. Um, I, it was just, it was, um, it was being influenced by this family. Um, and, and, and I was influenced because there's, it's just hard to wrap my mind around because there was always so much good in every single one of them. And, Um, And at the same time, if I had sat down and had to think about, you know, out of everybody, you know, everybody that you grew up with, if, um, is, if there's one person you can think of, um, who you think could become a violent fascist is this particular person. Um, Yeah. Like there's uh, an inherent contradiction in the, the 
nature of your long-term interaction with the family and the kind of relationship that he had with them, yeah. but also the awareness of like the trajectory of belief and ideology that this person was on. Yeah. They always had re- far, they were always to the right of the Republican party until I think now. And, and, um, I, you know, I, but I, I heard them speak out against racism. They're very homophobic, but I heard them speak out against racism. And I guess I thought that would shield them from, from some of this. And I, I have to, and, and there's just, there's kind of radio silence from the family. And I just, I'm wondering, does that mean that they agree with what he did? I mean, does that mean that they wish I was dead too. I mean, like I, it's just hurtful at a very personal level. Just as I, I don't know. Um, and I keep thinking about a thread that um, the journalist Jeff Charlotte, who focuses on the Christian right, did a few weeks ago when he talked about how something that sometimes surprises people was how much humanity and kindness he found for many, many years with people that he knew and interviewed on the Christian right, that that they had, that there was often humanity there that didn't align with their beliefs. And that as, you know, throughout the Trump uh, administration, he has seen a lot of that humanity disappear and that kindness go away. And that's kind of what I feel like I'm I'm seeing. And it just breaks my heart because I just have always I've always really loved this family and thought of them almost as as family. So um, and really hoped and just always held out hope and always tried to make it clear to many individuals in that family that I always held like a line open for them that I was there if they, cause I, sometimes I wonder if like I've, if, if my family was the only, like, were the only Democrats they knew ever, <laughs> like it were the only, yeah. um, you know, and, uh, And so I always wanted it to be clear that like, I, you know, I could get, if they were looking for help, I could, you know, I could help them, I could help them refer them to people. I have a lot of contacts. Um, I could, you know. um, Basically, if they found themselves in a position where something didn't sit right about what they had always espoused, you were somebody who wasn't going to like throw it in their faces yeah that I, that I wasn't going to judge them and that I would uh, you know that in case there's there aren't a lot of people in their lives you know who 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 they can talk to about you know it, I just think you know and there it's a very insular family I just think it would take for one to get out for one to make the choice to leave and then start talking to the others and and i just have always hoped for that but it's you know what it's it's not something i can make happen it's not you know it's uh and and the other the other thing that um that comes up here is just the 
the how easy it is to radicalize when you were raised on radical ideas and you and then are denied an education um you know yeah. it's it's funny that you mentioned that mentioned like that cluster of things because i think as we were prepping for this episode i mentioned something i'd written i just looked back and i think i wrote it in around 2009 or so um um, I, I mean, I wasn't like super active in like protest, you know, activism, but I worked and coordinated with, and, um, a lot of pro-life or anti-abortion organizations <clears throat> like the American Life League, uh, Catholic group that, um, did a lot of, you know, publications and stuff like that, um, during my time in that. And, <clears throat> I think one of the things that really hit me years after I got out of that movement was um, when George Tiller was assassinated. Um, and for anybody who's not like up on that particular history, George Tiller was <clears throat> one of the, one of the, I, I believe the last um, doctor in the state of Kansas who would perform late-term abortions. And he spent years occupying like a special place in the pro-life ecosystem as like literally Hitler, not in some like ironic hyperbolic way, but like people wrote essays and tracts and preached sermons about how he was literally like Hitler and was gleefully mm. murdering babies for money. And like for years, he was the named avatar. Really? Evil movement that i was a part of and this was stoked for just eons and what what started to sink in for me was that that level of vitriol and that level of demonization and that level of invective it's impossible i think for someone to not eventually take that seriously yeah, and decide, well, I would literally be saving hundreds of children's lives if I killed this man. Yeah. And then someone did like lot, lots of people tried, you know, there were, I think like right. multiple attempts on his life and it really, really, I think it, it was a very difficult moment for me, not because anyone I specifically knew had been a part of like mm -hmm. the attempts on his life, but because I remembered how, how abstract in the groups that I was a part of the question of whether or not it was justified, it would be justified to like try to kill someone like Tiller. Right. You know, the, the, the that was, a reasonable and thoughtful discussion that someone could have. And, I, and that, you know what? I had a conversation with my dad this week and he remembered a, con a conversation with one of these family members in which they um, thought that, that this was like a just that killing abortion doctors was a, was a righteous thing to do. Um, and, and that was like explicitly even, on the day he was like in the press conference after he was killed, um, Randall Terry, the guy who founded Operation Rescue, one of the highest profile like 
you know, anti-abortion protest movements of like the the eighties. Um, he had a press conference that you know, he said, you know, um, you know, well, he was a mass murderer and he reaped what he sowed. And then he asked all the journalists that were present if they wanted to go join him for wings. Mm. And like one of the reasons that I feel really strongly about like wanting to, you know, wanting to produce and, and participate in this podcast is that <clears throat> I think it's difficult for a lot of people who aren't directly in the line of fire yeah. of these kinds of ideas to conceptualize what a sort of, it, it seems almost like a, you know, Jekyll and Hyde kind of split, how right. people that you know and, and seem perfectly kind and in a lot of ways, you know, fit like the idyllic Americana mm. family looking yeah, ideal. Yeah, we're very, very kind to uh, my family for many years. Can, and, yeah. and, and how they can also have this just dramatically compartmentalized hate directed towards people that yes. they have learned are okay to direct that at. Yes, yes. And, and, I, and I think... You know what? what? I always thought that just that the basic goodness of these people would save them. And I think like going for this long without ever trying to expand horizons, learn anything like going for this long, um, having the trauma that comes with this kind of, um, these kind of abusive spiritual ideas. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, um, there are going to be people who, you know, it's just one of uh, some somebody I know this week said, you know, that's that's what happens when, you know, he was a cuff. They said that's what happens when your only exposure to people who aren't like you is on patrol at the barrel of a gun. Um, <sighs> and um, it, this has just broken my heart. I have had a pit in my stomach since I found out on Sunday. And, you know, um I, you know, if, if you haven't done any violence yet, Aaron, you have time to make a change and to get free and to just, and, and I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say in words that you can understand to, to, to repent and to humble yourself and, um, you know, I uh, I've just been close to tears all all week, and I I'm not scared of you. Um, and uh, you know, I uh, yeah, you can reach me by looking at the 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 email address on this podcast. I can I can connect you with some anti-radicalization folks and and get and and get you some help if if there's nobody else who can um and i just uh i'm just so sad and broken up by this it's just been a horrible week so um you know i wasn't that close to him but i was really close to his mother and and the sisters who are closer to my age and I just I hate this. I hate it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, so thank, thanks for being willing to talk, th- talk it through and, and yeah. just, it, there aren't easy answers to that. I don't think. No. Um, Cause like, I know when like, you know, like 11 something years ago when I was writing that, when I wrote uh, a bit just trying to process that stuff about Tiller, like it, there, there weren't any answers to that other than to sort of look back with clear eyes. Yeah. On, yeah. Yeah. On where I, on where things had been. And yeah. And that's very, very difficult, but. Right. But I think one of the, again, I, I feel like a lot of our audience is folks who are looking at these movements from the outside and confused right. by them. Yeah. And I will say that if there are folks listening who do find themselves inside of the kinds of the kinds of groups that we're talking about and the kinds of groups that, you know, we're looking at, um, the the kinds of authoritarian ideas and belief systems and those kinds of systems that we're talking about. One of the lies that I think is so pervasive inside of those groups is that you may not like some of the ideas that we say you should have, but accepting them and internalizing them is the only thing that will make you a good person. Like, your capacity to be a good person in any area of your life is conditional upon your willingness to sort of swallow this bitter pill that you have to hate certain people or you have to. You have to and and fear them too. yeah. Yeah. And I will say from experience, that is a deeply terrifying place to be in, but. Mm-hmm. on the other side like you are still you and the person that you hope to be and want to be if 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 you want to be a a kind person a person who helps others and makes the world a better place yeah that person is still there they're yeah. not they don't go away and you don't turn into a monster because you set aside the the structures that keep us righteous or something like yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's, in fact if you keep going in this direction, that's when you are you become a monster. And you know, and I just hope that you don't I just am afraid that you're you're gonna hurt somebody. And uh you know, I just uh I, I there's nothing I could have done uh, to to start, you know. But I just get some help, get get out of your bubble, and talk to some somebody else who does not share this perspective. Go to a secular psychiatrist. I mean, even if it's somebody skilled in in pastoral counseling, go to somebody who is not who doesn't share this highly politicized worldview and and and. And start working through these things. This is, um, you know, at some point things got to change. We have, um, 
We have talked longer than I had wanted us to about this. Um, I, I oh. and I, I think I, I I veered heavily into into uh, <laughs> into some of my old journal entries too. <laughs> while I was at it, but, um. No, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, so that's I, I I we are gonna shift tone here. I gotta I can't do much more of this this week. Um, <laughs> we've got we've got some whiplash coming up. There. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're gonna talk about uh, to tie. We're gonna tie up Norman Vincent Peale and. I want to go through the book pretty quickly because I do want to do this authoritarian scale. And um, so we both had a few, th- you know, I talked about new thought. If, if you are just coming to this podcast, it might be a good idea to listen to uh, our third episode because I explain a little bit about Norman Vincent Peale's teachings and his influences uh, in the new thought movement. Um, and so we're just going to kind of go into the book and talk about a few things that really leapt out to us. Um, and one of the things I don't really know how to address, <laughs> address this, but there's this trope of the bad wife. It's this, this is a very misogynistic book um, who is, you know, impeding her husband's spiritual progress throughout this book. And I'm going to get I mean, or or who who is just negative and a problem. And I'm going to I'm going to talk about three examples really f- quickly. Um, and like the, the structure of this book is almost entirely anecdotal. It's almost like it, all it's, anecdotes. We're not going to go through the whole book. It's like, so I knew this guy and he learned this lesson. And so that's how I got these seven principles for learning to work through your anxiety. So it's just, it's like Malcolm Gladwell books on steroids. Yeah. Um, it's so boring. It's really boring. <laughs> I just, I was like, oh gosh, another detailed sports story about how they, how they started thinking positive and won their game of golf or something. It's just so boring. Um, there, there's a lot of stories about unsuccessful businessmen <laughs> who come to him and say, sir, Dr. Peel. Yeah. I am a businessman. I must be successful, but I am not. How can I be successful, sir? And he says, the Bible. have you considered being positive? And they say, why? No, I will try. And they come <laughs> back and say, I, sir, I am successful now. Thank you. Yeah. That, that is a very consistent theme. Yeah. It's the being positive and, and reading the Bible. And that's then that, and then they become, CEOs because they did that. It, I mean, it's it's hard to argue with the one hundred percent success rate he he, he <laughs> presents in his anecdotes. And and because... I, I've mentioned in these that it, it is it's well at least in the in the book um, Surge of Piety um, the the I forget the name of that author, but that that author suggests that most of these little anecdotes, like unless he gives the name of a real person, it's probably made up, which it has to be because 
Oh, and I will get back to the bad wife, but I just want to say this. It has to be made up because, I mean, the kind, I'm going to give one example. So there's this story, the story of Obstacle Man, the guy who all in business always talked about the, the, the terrible obstacles to getting, to meeting their goals. Uh, he calls him Obstacle Man, and Obstacle Man was horrible. And so apparently, so one of his co-workers just said, one day, why do you constantly emphasize the obstacles in this proposition instead of the possibilities? And Obstacle um. Man said, to be intelligent, one must always be realistic. And it is a fact that there are certain definite obstacles in connection with this project, which I agree with. So, As somebody who's worked on large software projects, I'm saying, well, yes, of course, it's that it anyone who's worked on a large project in which someone didn't have a willingness to like chart those things out yeah, and yeah. tell you how exactly that goes. <laughs> yeah. So, so then the other, the, um, the coworker said, what, what, what attitude would I take toward these obstacles? I would just remove them. That's all. And then I would forget them. And he's like, why would you do that? And he says, he read he he pulled out a little card and said this is my formula and this is what he read in a slow dubious voice when he saw the little card i can do all things through christ which strengthens me i just i just and the, and so then he decided to um you know to forget the obstacles and just think of the possibilities and then and then everything got turned around in the business. It was like magic. Um, I just, well, it's, I don't think these stories happen that way. <laughs> he just describes these pat little morality tales and they just sound too made up. There's all, there are always little formulas and that he turns into maxim. Like he says they're scientific maxims for success, but that's, I'm not sure they're either maxim or scientific. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. There's actually one of the passages from chapter one that I particularly loved. Okay. Uh, It says, lack of Uh self-confidence is one of the great problems besetting people today. In a university, a study was made. (laughs) Um, Students were asked to state their most difficult personal problems, and 75% said lack of confidence. It can safely be assumed that the same proportion is true of the population in general. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I mean, like, and it's... And it, I, I actually like made a note to myself and underlined it like three times that this guy reminds me of like Malcolm Gladwell and Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules of Life. Yes, in, very much. In, in the sense that like certain like almost tautologically true statements yeah. are made. Right. And then like wild extrapolation from those really basic like homilies is turned into like a very very hard and fast rule for life and and any nuance or complication that would call that like very very simplistic read into question Mm -hmm. is treated as like people being resistant to the truth or something like that rather than 
simply noticing that this is kind of a ridiculous oversimplification. Um, yeah. And like that shows up in every single one of these things all throughout the book. It's yeah, like, yeah. Salesman came to me and I said, Why not not be sad? And he said, I will try that. And he was not sad. It's like, yeah. Okay. You know, it, and yeah. it, it, it's almost to the point of absurdity. Yeah, but it I, it's, it's interesting because I, I'm, you mentioned that like that theme of the bad wife dragging. Right. Down. Yeah. I wanted to talk about one story in, in particular that really bothered me. It's the one where a husband is they kind of it's it's suggested that he's he's maybe oh he he had an interest in another woman i think he was probably having an affair but so she lost her head and became hysterical um and then and then she consulted her minister who adroitly turned the conversation to herself she admitted being a careless homemaker and that she also became became self-centered sharp-tongued and nagging she then confessed that she had never felt herself the equal of her husband. She had a profound sense of inferiority regarding him, feeling unable to maintain equality with him socially and intellectually. So she retreated into an antagonistic attitude that manifested itself in petulance and criticism. So, oh, so she was so bad. And he said, this pastor that um she needed that he whimsically told her that god runs a beauty parlor and that faith techniques could put beauty on a person's face and charm and ease in her manner so so i know i know and so she started doing these things um she started visualizing goodness in her husband this is this is book has a lot of the law of attraction um, she had conquered herself to the extent of being able to, um, you know, oh, to receive his request for a divorce with calmness when he asked. And then she simply replied that she was willing if he wanted it, but suggested a deferral for 90 days on the ground, the grounds, the divorce is final. If at the end of 90 days, you still feel that you want a divorce, I will cooperate with you. So she was nice and calm and she visualized him being a better husband and pictured him doing things with her instead of his mistress. And then, and then one night she, uh, uh, she really, she told him that it had been 90 days and, um, and she, he said, what do you mean? He asked puzzled the 90th day. Why don't you remember? We agreed to wait 90 days to settle that divorce matter, and this is the day. He looked at her for a moment, then hidden behind his paper, turned a page saying, Don't be silly. I couldn't possibly get along without you. Where did you ever get the idea that I was going to leave you? That And, he, and that's the nice end of the story. That's that's just gaslighting. He he asked her for a divorce. That's, like a, that's a Twilight Zone episode. That's not an encouraging self-help. That's not anecdote. healthy. It's not a healthy thing to do. Um. So yeah, that really. Oh. Is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was a Kirk Cameron movie too. Really? Oh, I believe I mean, that. The, yeah. It, it, I mean the. I, I I can't remember the details, but like there was uh, there was specifically like one of that post left behind like Kirk Cameron oh, vehicle yeah, movies yeah. that was like about, you know, 
he he was playing like the heel who had an affair and wanted a divorce from his wife, but you know their pastor said, "Well, here's your sixty day challenge." <laughs> and then he was like, like, "Oh my gosh, now I'm madly in love with my my wife." Oh no, of course. So it, it's like a crash diet for whatever was incredibly effed up about your relationship, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it, it's. It just reminds me of that, but oh, without, the, very without the nuance and the depth of the Kirk Cameron movie. Well, it, it's very common in the Christian right to blame the wife, right? If the husband has an affair, cheats or something, right? So it, it goes back as far as like a lot of like reflexive, like reflexive anecdotal comments about Eve being the one who brought like evil oh, into the absolutely. garden because she was the first one who yes. ate the fruit and stuff like that mm-hmm. it does yeah um there's also this story of the woman who is snappy with him when he's five minutes late and she's like why are you late and um and and she says you know i i have a really pressing problem i really need to talk to you now tell me why can't i get married like I don't know if somebody did that that way. Uh, if I have an appointment and somebody's, I don't know. But um, but then he he says he had to talk to her honestly, and he says, "You were really quite severe with me. Has it ever occurred to you that your attitude represents a pretty serious fault? I think a husband would have a very difficult time if you checked him up that closely all the time." In fact, you would so dominate him that even if you did marry, your marital life would be unsatisfactory. Love cannot live under domination. You and know, so, I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say this guy should not be giving relationship advice. I or uh, yeah, or, or talking to wim- women. Um, <laughs> just as a rule. <laughs> um, and so she does that, and then she, you know, he's. He sees her 10 years later and she's beautiful now and she has a husband and a son. So life goals. <laughs> she she, wow, she boy, did everything I... she wanted to do. She 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 achieved her dream. Um and so it's just funny to me that knowing that his audience was majority women the way that he writes about women and also the way that his anecdotes are so geared toward businessmen. It, it like the sad sack businessman is like his prototypical, like male right. person who seeks out advice. And the shrewish woman is the prototypical right. like female, like yeah. person he's advising. That's, that is, it's a really weird trend. And, it, it's when you call it out, it it does jump out. Oh yeah, and there's a there's another woman who she tells her her husband doesn't get a promotion, and she wants him to go confront his employer. But instead, the husband and and Norman Peel suggest that instead they pray for the employer, and then she calms down and and. They pray for the employer and the guy who gets the job instead. And then eventually, you know, he is, he does get a promotion. And it's because his wife, you know, calmed down and, 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 you know, and, and got rid of her. Overly negative, emotional ladies. 
That's it. Am I right? It's, this, yeah. this is like bad stand. Like, Not to mention, this is kind of like anti labor. <laughs> it's like don't take well. Don't take a stand with your employer to demand fair wages but, and you know rather than negotiating have you considered just hoping and more? praying um, for your your employer more well there, there's yeah. an interesting thing because in a couple of these stories he also goes through and tells people like oh they were such a sad sack and they couldn't say anything positive so i talked them through like figuring out what five things they could stand <laughs> on that were positive and one of them is always, I live in America, the greatest nation in the world. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. It's a, yeah, that's part. It's like, ah, yes, at least I'm not a godless communist. Moving on to other things in my life that I can be happy that's about. True. That's true. Um, um, now, I thought, I, I want to be fair. I thought some of the book was pretty innocuous. Like, it, mm-hmm. it talks about contemplative thought, mindfulness, Staying calm, even if he does use a lot of examples of women as prototypical hysterics. Um, But it talks about practicing serenity, training thoughts to avoid destructive thought patterns, maintaining inner peace. And these are all things, ideas I've encountered with secular therapists trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a really popular form of psychotherapy that that most therapists now are trained in, especially in dealing with things like depression. And I personally sometimes think, I don't think cognitive therapy offers really trite solutions to problems, but I also don't think it's terribly harmful to like think about reorienting certain thoughts if I find that they're harmful to me. I don't know. How did you feel about parts of this book? So there's a couple of things that I notice that one of them is, is very similar to your observation that like a lot of the, the core idea he's getting across in a number of these chapters is fairly innocuous. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, I think it's very, actually very similar to Jordan Peterson's 12 rules of life, which um, my, my friend Sally wanted to do a book club uh, about that book because she hated it with an undying passion. So, you know, much like you know Mm. i think this milk has gone bad Mm. can you smell it deeply and tell me if it is true she wanted to do a book club about this um and so i you know we we did a deep read of like jordan peterson's book Mm. (laughs) and had very much the same quality yeah like a, a principle like keep your bedroom clean and tidy right sure was like spun into a deep and profound non-negotiable rule for how humans work. And it, 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 it almost, it was almost absurd by the time you worked through this pattern yeah. occurring through all of these different anecdotes that would of be course. cited. Yeah. And the silly thing was, is like, the issue isn't no, you shouldn't bother making your bed. The issue isn't, um, you shouldn't be confident or, you know, it's not like that. It's like certain weight is being put on very simple homilies that those ideas can't bear the weight that is being put on them. They're not, they're not nuanced enough to support the kind of totalizing statements that these authors are trying to make with them. Like, um, 
so in I think chapter three, um, he opens up with this story of, and I'll, I'll, I'll quote here: a major league baseball pitcher once pitched a game when the temperature was over a hundred degrees. He lost several pounds as a result of the afternoon's exertion, and at one stage of the game, his energy sagged, mm. which feels like a dramatic understatement <laughs> given that. Yeah. But he says. His method for restoring his ebbing strength was unique. He simply repeated a passage from the Old Testament. But they they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Yeah. They shall run and not be weary Ugh. and walk and not faint. These sports like, things are so boring. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> you know, also liquids, um, you know, mm-hmm. some protein, you know, like sure. the idea, <laughs> like, you know, this is not this this idea of I'm doing an athletic activity in a hundred degree mm-hmm. heat is not an unexplored problem mm-hmm. in human physiology. <laughs> like this is not a, a mystery of the universe to be unlocked. And mapping something like that, like if you wait You're, on God yeah, and you yeah. trust in God, you need to keep going even when the odds are against you, and then mapping it to something very concrete and in a lot of ways like non-negotiable the human body right barring the intervention of like drugs and stimulants yeah. has certain fairly straightforward limits yeah and to treat those broad ideas of you know how to encourage yourself and how to keep on going when it's tough and to map it to those kinds of things i think is really typical of the whole sweeping problem with like the new thought and the positive thinking movement that you've dissected over these last couple of episodes Mm -hmm. that like it is it's it's encouraging and perfectly you know harmless when you're talking about oh i'm a salesman and i wish i could have more confidence when talking to clients and then you try to extrapolate that to like oh i've got cancer right what do i do so it's that's, like, well, I, yeah, that's when this book really goes off the rails, I think. It's in it's mostly in the like final third of the book, the faith healing part. Mm. And there's there's a, a friend of mine um, in one of the communities I'm a part of who actually said, I'm, I'm probably going to have to take this Peel series real slow. Oh, no. Um, because he says, I, they, he says, he, he, had just read a comment that somebody in another community had made that um, during like the, the height of the AIDS epidemic um, I quote, I knew too many men who died hating themselves for not being strong enough to believe their way back to health. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the persistence and the consistency with which Peel hammers home this thing, this idea that, not only is believing in yourself, not only is positive thinking, not only is pushing bad thoughts out a useful tool for certain kinds of challenges, it is the tool and for it's all challenges. science and it can heal your body. And he's he does not go as far as Mary Baker Eddy and and um you know, the woman who started the the Christian science. It, he doesn't say that he, he he says that doctors and ministers should work together to help heal people but um mm-hmm. so he's not 
he's not really anti-science, but the way that this these ideas are sort of taken up in the culture, the the um the popularization of this new thought idea that that the mind can cure the body, uh, that the mind can change the physical world um, is, is really dangerous. And um, I, yeah, so I don't know. It's like taking the idea of the placebo effect and deciding that what we should really do is just tell everybody to think good thoughts. Right. It's like, and let's see. And, and all of his success stories, coincidentally, are people with essentially a lot going for them. Yeah. Like his, his most persistent and, and like consistent success stories here are, and, and you've mentioned that like businessmen and salespeople are his favorite go-tos. Oh, for yeah. This. Mm-hmm. In, in large part because <laughs> persistence and like are you friendly and a nice person mm-hmm. to chat with are fundamentally useful skills in that specific kind of work yeah yeah and and it's like i'm not sure like is he cognizant of the fact that that's it's he picks something it's... directly related to these jobs he keeps describing. It's like saying that like <laughs> yeah. I keep talking to these successful physicians who have very steady hands. And I've written a book about how having steady hands is how you solve all problems in mm-hmm. life. Exactly. It's like it's like it it, it just seems almost bizarre mm-hmm. that the direct connection between so many of his examples being like public speakers who get better at public speaking when they don't stammer or something like yeah. it, 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 it's, it's, it's just so weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it feels like the blindness to that and the blindness to the fact that like there are actual real problems that people encounter in life that are actually beyond their control and figuring out how to grapple with those things is important right like that that seems entirely off his radar to the point of contempt which i don't understand because he started his clinic in the in 1932 and he was dealing with people in during the depression and so how uh, yeah, I don't. I don't understand it either. I I cannot imagine living through that and and thinking that these are the answers to life. But yeah. Anyway, and it yeah. It's I, one of the notes I sort of jotted to myself was I have a feeling this guy doesn't really believe in structural oppression <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> he's very like well you know sometimes you can get discouraged by things that are outside of your mm-hmm. control but it's not like you can't just believe your way out of it yeah yeah <laughs> and and yeah it, it's it's i i i came away from the book legitimately not sure whether he was just sort of tragically like naively optimistic in and in the power of like essentially being a salesman yeah or whether he was 
like diabolically engaged in an effort to like head off the tendency towards like communism's embrace of you know grievance for the lower classes or something right. like that right well we know that he was doing that so it's you know you have right. to think that that this was some of his his motivation although he did largely keep that under wraps in this book i think because he, he does keep coming back to you do live in america the greatest country greatest, in the world oh, yeah yeah. <laughs> um he only talked you know expressed a contempt for poor people and alcoholics a couple times i think um you know he um it's not like they were shrewish women you know yeah <laughs> they they got a lot more yeah a lot more criticism so yeah it... yeah i don't know i think hmm yeah, this book, besides being incredibly boring, it, it, it is a, it's, I want to say it is, I said on Twitter it was the first self-help book I've ever read. It's not. I read a book by M. Scott Peck in college, so it is the second self-help book I've ever read, because <laughs> I did, I did have a time as an evangelical, but I, I've always had this personality, so it's just not real. I don't like this kind of thing. Um <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I did not learn to have energy that never ceases from it, which he said, I, I, I you know, I'm open if, if, um, if visualizing it can get us a hundred thousand paid subscribers, I'm open to trying it. <laughs> what about well, you? I'm, I'm uh, he says that it's. He doesn't want to overpromise, but you can't. You don't need to be defeated by anything. You can have peace of mind, improved oh, sure. health, and a never ceasing flow of energy. And these assertions, which may appear extravagant, are based on bona fide demonstrations in actual human experience. And then goes yeah, on to provide almost anonymous examples of salesmen who stopped being sad. Yeah, he and he says he says that praying and visualizing having a hundred thousand subscribers got them up to a hundred thousand guidepost subscribers from about thirty thousand. So I don't know. We'd have a well, little further you know, to go, but <laughs> I you, don't know. You, I guess you can't argue with success. <laughs> that was but, his, yeah i don't know if it's science at least i, I gotta say i mean um, and also like it's it's sort of a post hoc thing it's like yeah oh well you look back and you know was it the writers was it the right. editors was it the people doing the actual work of producing the magazine was it the you know sales team that was selling subscriptions right. sure yeah well, it, yeah. It was my decision to decide that we would have lots of subscribers. <laughs> yeah. So, um, can we go into this uh test? I do want to get to it, um, but yes. I think we can do it quickly. The, um the F scale test. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about it. It's, you know, it's it was designed by Theodore Adorno, a philosopher of the Frankfurt School, who was a German-Jewish exile to the United States who um, escaped to the United States right uh, uh, before the Holocaust. And um, 
you know, he, he, uh, this is really not the most important thing he did. He really was a scholar of authoritarianism and the, the, um, the conditions that make authoritarianism possible. Um, this test was designed with the feedback of psychoanalysts at the time uh, from the Frankfurt School. And it is... It is prob. It is not. It is not exactly science. But I thought it would be one way. I do like Adorno, and I thought it would or be diagnostics. Yeah. Or is it- yeah. So I thought it would be useful because you know this is not as authoritarian as what we opened this episode with. So I thought it would just be you know we could answer it as if we are Norman Vincent Peale kind of quickly. So I'm just going to get okay, into I'm it. In character. I'm okay. Just, I'm, so I'm, I'm envisioning it. Uh, I'm yeah. a public speaker who keeps yeah. accidentally getting into business deals with neo-Nazis. That's that's my role, right? right? Yeah. Right. Okay. So, Got question it. 1. So, uh, um I will say also this has been a little bit updated for the present. So, question okay. 1. Nowadays when so many kinds of people move around and mix, a person has to protect himself, especially carefully, against catching an infection or disease from strangers. How do we think Peel would respond to that? I I don't I I think I, he would disagree. I, I think he would disagree, interestingly enough, on the basis of the fact that I think Taking precautions for things seems a little off his radar as it's long as not, he can just believe it. Right. <laughs> agree. Yeah. So I would say he would strongly disagree with that. Okay. I'm going, moving on to number two. If, if bad thoughts are something that you can catch, I think he would definitely be wigged out, but not necessarily. Right. Okay. All right. So question two. The wild sex life of the Greeks and Romans was tame compared to some of the goings on in this country today, even in places where one might least expect it. So I, I was not, I don't get the idea that he was that preoccupied with hating gay people any more I, than yeah, I, the I, time, you know, the time we live in. Would you say least, strongly disagree? I, I, I'd, right. I'd give that one a like a neutral, like moderate. It didn't yeah. even seem to be right. He didn't. Yeah. Okay. Question three: Young people sometimes get rebellious ideas, but as they grow up, they ought to get over them and settle down. I would say moderately agree. I'd, I'd say moderately agree as well. He, he seems to regard anything that like keeps someone from fitting in pleasantly right. as a fundamentally suspicious and dangerous yes. problem. So question four, science has its place, but there are many important things that can never be understood by the human mind. Mm, that one's complicated. He does think science has its place. But he also thinks the Bible is science. So I think he thinks it can be understood. So I, I'm going to go I, with neutral on this. Yeah, I'd say that one's neutral because he seems to be more of the, I'm just going to redefine anything I like as science exactly. camp. Yes. Question five. Nobody ever learned re- anything really important except through suffering. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's a strong disagree for yeah, appeal. Yeah, strong disagree. Yeah. 
Because the suffering is exactly what you're trying to avoid by thinking positively about everything. Oh, but guess what? Question six. When a person has a problem or worry, it is best for him not to think about it, but to keep busy with more cheerful things. Strong agree. I, 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 just slamming that button. Just how, <laughs> how hard can I hit that red agree button? Yeah. Question seven. Familiarity breeds contempt. Mm. I'm neutral. I'd say neutral too. I I I don't. Yeah. I think the, the idea of contempt is something he's not it's particularly not comfortable. Yeah, yeah, I would he agree. Just keeps manifesting whenever he talks about Whoops. poor people. Yeah. All right. Question: Did I do eight last? No. Here's eight. Uh, no. Okay. Eight. Obedience and respect for authority are the most important virtues children should learn. He doesn't talk much about children, but I would say moderately agree. I, I'd, I'd say moderately. Yeah. It's not getting along with authority is one of those things that he always attributes to yeah. people not being confident enough and, exactly. and stuff like that. Number nine. If you had had confidence, you wouldn't have all these scuffles with, you know, your boss. Yeah. Human, no, this is number nine. Human nature being what it is, there will always be war and conflict. Mm, Just strongly disagree? I'd say strongly disagree. Yeah. Okay. On the basis of the fact that if everyone agreed with me, there just wouldn't be conflict and everyone would be super chill and great public speakers. Yeah. Yeah. Question 10. Oh. Every person should have complete faith in some supernatural power whose decisions he obeys without question. Hard agree. Just slam that. Yeah. Okay. 11. (laughs) Someday it will probably be shown that astrology can explain a lot of things. I think we have to contextualize this. And instead of astrology, we have to say new thought. And then we have to agree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I Number 12. Nowadays, more and more people are prying into matters that should remain personal and private. I'd say mild agree. Like it, it wasn't something that he necessarily wrote specifically about, but that idea of like, there's no need to air dirty laundry. There's, you know, it's the, the creation and maintenance of an ideal projected self was such a big part of what. Yeah. So number 13, no weakness or difficulty can hold our country back. If we have enough willpower agree. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Definitely Um. agree. Now 14, if people would talk less and work more, everybody would be better off. Hard agree. Yep. Don't you think? Okay. 15. I think I think it's a little a little what? tricky because talking was what he did mostly. That's but true. like that idea of talk versus work is more like Definitely goes with work. Yeah. Y- yeah, yeah. Okay, 15. The business and the manufacturer, the businessman and the manufacturer are much more important to society than the artist and professor. Yep. Hard agree. Um, I don't know. As far as I could tell from his book, artists <laughs> and professors don't exist. Yeah. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> Question 16. A person who has bad manners, habits, and breeding can hardly expect to get along with decent people. So 
he doesn't say much about breeding like he's not but he does have that anti-catholic bias so maybe it is hard I, agree I, no i'd say medium agree medium like there, there's agree. some complexity there because i think he'd my impression is that he'd strongly disagree with like the breeding thing because yeah, he seemed think, very yeah. like populist in his this can help anyone anyone kind true of thing. yeah but like that idea of like you behave kindly and you have good etiquette and you are cheerful like right. that idea of adherence to normative behavior and acceptable living was mm -hmm. such a big thing yes so question 17, what the youth needs most is strict discipline, rugged determination, and the will to work and fight for family and country. Yep. Definitely yeah, agree. Yeah, that's Hitting all the buttons there. 18, there is hardly anything uh, lower than a person who does not feel a great love, gratitude, and respect for his parents. I would say medium agree. Because yeah, he definitely like, mythologized his own parents, but he didn't judge people who didn't have great. I don't know. What do you think? Medium, medium degree. I, I think like he he was definitely more fixated yeah. on that sense of like you can become tainted and infected by bad thoughts more than right. you exactly. must always lionize. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, definitely nineteen. Mm. An insult to our country's honor should always be punished. I don't know about punished. But... Punished might be a little strong. I think he, yeah, it. he seemed more fixated on like inoculating the nation against the, the lies of communism than like lashing out in some active sense. I'm, I'm thinking exactly neutral on this. What do you think? Or disagree? Yeah. Smile disagree. I'd, I'd, neutral? I'd, go, I'd go neutral. Okay. 20. Homosexuals are hardly we're, better we're than criminals. We're in home everybody. Yeah, we're all, yeah. Homosexuals are hardly better than criminals and ought to be severely punished. Um, I, I disagree. I don't I, know about I, strongly. I, I don't think he was into punishment. But... Yeah, just as a rule, like he seemed to conceive of a world in which not being ridiculously successful was punishment enough. And right. that's what everyone needed to be helped. Yeah, with. so I'm going to go with strong disagree for that. Strong, you think, or moderate disagree? Moderate, I'd, I'd, I'd say. Like, and if there's anybody out there listening who has, like, you know, some insights onto, like, you know, the, yeah. the secret writings of Vincent Peale in which you, like, weighed in on some of these things, fascinating. Yeah, we say. are not, we're not scholars of this person. Um, this is okay. the sort of lighthearted uh, diagnostic criteria portion of the show rather right, than the deep scholar. Right, where we kind of tie it all up, yeah. So, 21, what this country needs most, more than laws and political programs, is a few courageous tireless devoted leaders in whom people can put their faith i would say agree yeah it's strong like that idea of yeah the value of people being inspired yes all right 22 western democracies need some institutions that are themselves outside of democratic control to keep order in the chaos that we see today mm. no I, I think he might agree with that actually just it, it yeah, didn't seem same. to be the vibe that he pursued <laughs> yeah i'm gonna say he strongly 
just would disagree. All right, uh, 23. Um, sex crimes such as rape and attacks on children deserve more than mere imprisonment. Imprisonment. Such criminals ought to be publicly whipped or worse. I would say disagree, strongly disagree. Yeah, it, again, his MO seems to be far more weighted towards constructing an imaginary world in which no one acknowledges that bad things happen than cracking down hard. Exactly. All right. Um, 24, most of our social problems would be solved if we could somehow get rid of the immoral, crooked, and feeble-minded people. No. He thought that everybody could be fixed with mind power. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 25. Wars and social troubles may someday be ended by an earthquake or flood that will destroy the whole world. Hmm. Oh, this <laughs> I, is I, the I think one. That yeah, definitely. That's the one I answered agree because obviously, and they said that my only sort of fascist tendency was cynicism. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that could obviously happen. Probably not a flood that will destroy, but. Well, you know, if if the world is destroyed by a cataclysm, that <laughs> just means that yeah. you didn't believe that it couldn't be hard enough. Exactly. So, 26. Some people are born with an urge to jump from high places. Agree? I... No? Yeah. Okay, I, mean, I, this... I think he would... What does that even mean? Like, to jump and, and commit suicide or to, like, not... Succeed? Like, like I, I don't even I feel know. Like I want to ask this web this web quiz. Is this a metaphor? Like that's what um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, let, I don't... Let's say neutral on this one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're almost done. Okay. Twenty-seven. Um, no sane, normal, decent person could ever think of hurting a close friend or relative. Eh, probably agree. I'd... Yeah, I'd say agree. I I feel like almost any problem that someone exhibits, he considers a sign that you're not you're not following these edicts and positive thought principles closely enough. And following them is equivalent to being healthy and sane. So, yeah, I'd say definitely. Mm -hmm. Okay, 28. Most people don't realize how much our lives are controlled by plots attached in secret places. Now. He, we know the the stuff about Catholics. I would say agree, not based on the book, but based on the things we know about his political life. Yeah, yeah, I maybe not hard agree, but like in terms yeah. of what he did out of the spotlight and the kinds right. of causes he supported, yeah, definitely. Yes. Okay. Almost done. 29. Um, people can be divided into two distinct classes, the weak and the strong. Disagree. He thought people could be perfected. Yeah. So everybody. If you right? just believe hard enough, so you would be 30... mm-hmm. So 30. The Western way of life is disappearing so fast the force may be necessary to preserve it. <clears throat> mm, very anti-communist. <sighs> Yeah, I'm a little it's, I, I, neutral on that to me. I, I don't I'd say neutral that, as well, because like yeah. he, he he believed vigorously in like the power <laughs> of positive thought to to like prevent the United States' slide into communism too. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. 
All right, so we are finished. Let's see what we what kind of results we have here. Let's see. Okay. Uh-oh. Where'd Where did my results go? I'm having some internet issues, internet connectivity issues. Can you hear me okay? I, I can't hear you okay. Okay, um, so here we go. He is 92% authoritarian on, on no, not everything, on the issue of um, conventionalism, on being, con you know, uh, on yeah, yeah. Okay, he is... Uh, as opposed to the average person, which is 60%. So um, he is 74% authoritarian when it comes to submission to authority. Um, and uh, when it comes to authoritarian aggression, he is a little less authoritarian. He's not really mm -hmm. hugely pro-war. Um he has a uh he's got some uh stereo uh stereotypes and superstitions he has he's really invested in the idea of power and toughness um he is, that that checks out like me he is just 25% uh cynical so that that is um he's uh He's a low. That this was my highest fascism score on destructiveness and <laughs> and I got also got twenty five percent. So I was low, but everything else I was very low. All right. So, interesting. <laughs> um, and I think like this is one of the things that I think is interesting too in in all of the all of the movements and the personalities and the issues that we're touching on. The idea here is that the ways they intersect with authoritarianism yes. and these movements isn't a, a, a binary switch that is flipped. Yeah. It's ways of engaging with the world and ways of seeing relationship with other people in society that can differ depending on contexts. And I think that like he's an, he is a really interesting example of that because in some ways it's like, you know, so much of what he writes and so much of what he articulates just slams that conventional, you know, conventional trust in the system button. Yeah. Like you wouldn't believe. And, uh, but then there's others that don't hew to some of the traditionally authoritarian themes. Yeah. Another thing where he scored very high, it was, it has to do with his um, opposition to the subjective and imaginative, like his, you know, the way that he hates professors <laughs> and, and, and uh, theologians and and philosophers um uh this extends to a dislike of abstract art and you know and he you know he thinks that everything is is a practical solution so that's that uh that's but he's he's not high on everything he's pretty average on most of these things and he scores low on anti-degeneracy because he just was not obsessed with the sexual life lives of, of others really. So much more concerned about whether America's salesmen were sufficiently upbeat. Oh yeah. That was yes, for sure. Well, <laughs> he had some authoritarian tendencies, but um, obviously compared to what we began this episode with, not 
and and what we know of the christian right like this is this is certainly not the worst thing that we're gonna go over <laughs> and i think i think you know especially as we start looking looking ahead to a couple of the upcoming episodes it's useful to remember too that like the movements and ideas that we're talking about aren't like 90, 97 different flavors of authoritarianism and fascism mixed together. In a lot of ways, they're components that, while they may be off base or off kilter in some ways or whatever, aren't in and of themselves as problematic as when they're combined with other elements yeah. and sort of Voltron their way to a really destructive authoritarian mix yeah and i think that's what a lot of peel's work shows like in an otherwise healthy and supportive and constructive environment i think someone could very easily read his book and take away some good lessons on how to how to be upbeat and not get dragged down by the problems of the day mm -hmm. but when it's compounded with other issues and when it's used as a guide when really significant problems that are larger than simply our ability to, you know, stiff up or lip our way through, right. you know, are encountered, it turns dark real fast. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a kind of theme that we're going to see with a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that the idea that no one in the thick of it looks at any one of these individual ideas and says, oh, yeah, this is totally a component in, you know, the in, in an authoritarian worldview. Right. It's, oh, no, well, this is just good and being pro-family. You know, yeah. why, why wouldn't I protect my family? You know, do you not want to protect your family? It's like, yeah, but like you put all these puzzle pieces together in a very clear composite yeah. is there and that's kind of why we want to do this podcast is to show kind of lay out for you where these authoritarian and fascist strains are and uh and explain them because they are not always terribly obvious so and it, it, is it okay if i give uh uh, I, I won't go into details, but mm -hmm. I'll give at least a little bit of a teaser to what's coming up in uh, in our yeah. in our next show. So, I've uh, I've been stocking up on thrift shop uh, copies of old uh, Rapture novels that I had that I had lost track of many moons ago, and uh, getting back up to speed. And there's a fascinating. There's a fascinating um, <laughs> taxonomy, and I think a history to how the idea of like the end of time and you know the depending on someone's bent and how they approach it you know either like the second coming of god and the return of god to earth and or the great war to end it all or even just the rapture where all the christians disappear if you read a book like you know like uh, left behind you know what someone takes from those things can differ but there's some really fascinating themes when you look at the history of this genre of literature and entertainment media in the christian right and like the role that it's taken and the evolution that it's gone through over like probably a generation or two from when it really arrived on the scene um, from some of the 
early, like, you know, from the early, late 60s, early 70s, when it was sort of a an offshoot of the disaster movie horror schlock genre mm-hmm. to now when it's really more of like a political thriller kind of thing that's integrated with a broader way of looking at the world. We're going to track that and we're going to look at some specific examples from the genre and uh, look at what they say and... Uh, what some of the ideas that are contained in them are that you may only be familiar with in passing references or catchphrases. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Well, (laughs) Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, We should probably tie this up. Um, And uh, do you want to give our, our, um, our, our, our call sign yeah. yeah so if you want to read uh, detailed show notes or uh, subscribe to updates or um if you want to uh, subscribe to support the uh the podcast and the work that we're doing here um you can find us online at rightcast.substack.com um, or you can search for christian rightcast on itunes or stitcher or google podcasts or you know any the the podcast delivery mechanism of your choice um you can also find us on on Twitter, where uh, we occasionally post uh, in progress, um, you know, material that we're working on, or uh, we take questions and you know, occasionally uh, weigh in with uh, you know on, on feedback uh, from listeners. Uh, we're C Rightcast um, on Twitter, and uh, you can find us there. Um, but again, yeah, check us out at uh, Rightcast.substack.com, and uh, I uh, I hope we'll uh, we'll here we'll we'll talk with you again next time thanks a lot thank you so much 